Hello, welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast, hosted by me, Jack Perks. Professionally, I'm a wildlife cameraman, but I dabble in podcasting, and each Tuesday we release an episode as I have a chat with scientists, artists, filmmakers, and passionate people all about nature in a light-hearted and certainly not serious way. Hello, I hope we're all doing well. Well, today I've got Mike Blackmore on the podcast. He works for the Wessex Rivers Trust and is a river restorationist. Restri- re- he he restores rivers anyway. And we're going to have a good old chat about chalk streams, which are an incredibly rare habitat of which we have the majority in the UK. But before that, let's go to buymeacoffee.com. Now, if you haven't already, you can support the podcast by donating to buymeacoffee.com. You can donate whatever you can afford and it all goes towards the podcast. This is the only way that I currently make money for the podcast. Now we're trying to reach a goal of £500. We're at 94% of that. We're very, very close. This is so that we can buy some more mics for outdoor broadcasts. I've got a couple of ideas, but I need some new mics for that. So we're nearly there, 5% of the way. So if you can squeeze out a couple of coppers, that is greatly appreciated. Anyway. What we also do is encourage people to leave a message and then we read out the message once you've donated. So I'm just going to read out a few that people have done. 88 Ivy Fox, who bought a coffee, put, Hey Jack, thank you for the new podcast series. I'm really enjoying Jack Does Stuff. It's a great way for me to listen and learn. Cheers. No problem, Ivy Fox. Thanks for the money. I don't think that's your real name, but it's a good name. Jan, Jan Watterwitz. Oh God, that's not how you say it. I apologise, Jan. I've probably just done a a hate crime by trying to say your surname. I can barely read English, so um, apologise for that. I'm assuming Polish, but I might be wrong. You've put, Jack, I-, I hope you can buy at least a few mauled wines from this or put it towards your microphone fund. I literally lol at your description of the crayfish as little fuckers. They are little fuckers. Keep up the good work and perhaps one day we can meet and I will show you my secret Burbot colony in Swindon. Uh, if you do have a secret Burbot colony in Swindon, then I would keep quiet about that, Jan. But I would still like to see it. Uh, thanks for the coffees, Jan. Much appreciated. You bought three coffees for me. Good man. Uh, John. John bought bloody loads. So I, uh, thank you very much, John. Uh, he's put, this is a great season. Wonderfully balanced and in-depth coverage. Thanks, Jack. We should try to get the mics for Christmas. Well, uh, you bought 10 coffees, John. So you probably single-handedly nearly did it. So I appreciate that very much. And then last but not least is Ursula. I think this is Ursula from Norfolk Rivers Trust, and she's put, thanks for covering the topic so thoroughly, referring to crayfish. Uh, Jack, brilliant work. So yeah, thanks to all those people that have donated. If you would like to donate and leave a message, then you can very well do that, and the link is in the description. Now, one of the other things I'm thinking about doing is a Q&A session. I want to do a question and answer bit. So if you would like to ask me anything, it could be to do with wildlife filmmaking, presenting, television, podcasting, wildlife gardening, fish, you name it, send me a question in. Now, you can just send it in uh, via social media if you really want to. So on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, there's links to all that in the description. Or, what I'm encouraging people to do, you can record your question, just say who you are, where you're from, and go for it. And you can ask more than one question if you want, and I'll actually put that into a podcast. If I get enough questions, if I get a dozen or so, I'll just do a special Q&A episode. If I only get a couple, I'll just tack it on to the end of another episode. But we'll see how we go. So if you want to do that, 
message me on social media uh, or via my website, send the question in and we'll get that all included. Anyway, let's get on to today's episode with Mike Blackmore and let's find out a little bit more about the wonderful habitat of chalk streams. Here's our chat. Well, welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining. It's been one of those things where obviously I've seen you pop up online for years now and trying to have an excuse to chat. So it's always good to uh, have a waffle about rivers of anyone, really, especially yourself. It's always good to meet your Twitter friends, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's it's part of me thinks it's a bit sad, but in another way, it's good. It's good that people can join each other online and, and share interests that ordinarily wouldn't. So it's not sad, is it? We should embrace it. We should all embrace That's- that sort of stuff. Absolutely. I think it's I think it's great to do yeah, be out doing what you do, but be connected to a, a bigger community whilst you're doing it. Definitely. Why Twitter's a thing anyway, before it implodes. If you keep <laughs> keep watching everything that goes on. The world's ending, Twitter's gonna explode. So there oh, we go. Yeah. There we go. Anyway, we're not here to talk about Twitter. What we are here is to talk about chalk streams. So many people might have heard of a chalk stream, may not have heard of a chalk stream. So we'll start at the very basics. What is a chalk stream? Good question. It's a good question. Chalk streams. I mean, it is the kind of most basic definition. A chalk stream is a river which uh, receives most of its flow from a chalk aquifer and has characteristics kind of defined by the 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 chalk aquifer from which it flows. But I don't think that necessarily explains it particularly well. And really, to understand what chalk streams are, you've got to kind of get your head around the history of them a bit because they are unusual then their their history is where they're really different from from other rivers they're kind of a happy accident of both nature and 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 people i mean the obviously first of all their the the geology is you know what defines them the most so they're they're, they're chalk rivers next thing you'll hear is is how they're globally rare and that we you know we have virtually all of them in in England with a, with a few in France and, and Denmark but why is that and you know chalk has formed in lots of places over kind of the geological periods which it was forming so why have we why have we got chalk streams here and, and not really anywhere else and, and it, it all comes down to a bit of a fluke of of geology and glaciation and topography and all kinds of things that mean that we've ended up with this exposed chalk in some places or chalk not far from the surface that hasn't been eroded away uh, that's actually you know still here a long long time after it's formed a perfect cocktail of uh of things all coming together yeah it's it's yeah it's it's an unusual circumstance that's that's landed us with them and what's then unusual is is what's happened since as well so you know the having a big lump of chalk doesn't necessarily mean you get you get chalk streams what what happened uh with us is that chalk formed during a interglacial period where the, the world was was really hot and we had a shallow sea and it was formed by calcareous algae sort of dropping to the to the bed and then during the last ice age glaciers didn't quite come down all the way to the sort of bottom end of england so they didn't the 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 chalk wasn't kind of destroyed necessarily by the glaciers but it did freeze and then the meltwater coming off those glaciers going over frozen chalk well then that chalk eroded as if it was rock 
and formed all the kind of chalk downs and valleys that we've got. And then after that, when the world warms up again, we're left with you know, this, this suddenly porous again, rock and water's coming out of it and kind of following these, these different valleys that were previously formed when it was frozen. And also the, the, that kind of, uh, in that glacial period, you had a lot of breaking up of flint that was, that was in the, the chalk. Because flint is essentially the, if you imagine you've got a, a shallow sea and all the algae on the, the the surface is dropping down in kind of marine snow and sort of starts to form that chalk. Then on the bed are sponges and there are worms and things sort of burrowing through it. And there's a lot of silica in their bodies. And when they die, they, that kind of silica dissolves into the water, fills all these little cavities and burrows and things. And, uh, and eventually that actually is, over time is what forms the flint. And then that flint is broken up by the sort of, glacial action and ends up kind of almost tumbling down into these these valleys and we're left with this system where we've got these kind of flint beds with water flowing over them that's coming out of the chalk rock and that's that's kind of that's kind of half the story that gets us that's the first happy accident that gets us almost almost to chalk streams they then got uh, uh, a, a period where you've got lots of little kind of braided marshes flowing through these valleys with trees and beavers and, you know, wild grazing animals and lots of different plants and salmonids spawning. And it's all constantly changing and moving around. It's a very, very dynamic system. And then that's when people arrive on the scene and we start fording and draining land. And then in the medieval kind of period we get the water meadow systems in in southern england which was all about getting that that chalk stream water which is quite stable in temperature even through the winter get it flowing across the land to kind of keep the land warm during the winter early crop of grass higher yield of wool or meat or whatever you're you're, you're grazing on it and then water mills and things so we yeah it's constantly being 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 played around with and the thing with chalk streams compared to other rivers is that you can play around with them very very easily because they're very benign very low gradient very gentle systems so when we bugger about with them they stay buggered um basically well I, i'm glad you sort of brought that up because i was going to talk to you about this because i suppose do you, do you fish are you an angler mike do you fish as well yeah for my yeah. sins i yeah, try okay. anyway Okay, so when a lot of fishermen in particular think about chalk streams, they've got this idea of very neatly cut banks and almost a straight river, which is gin clear. But it's not, I suppose, how a chalk stream would look, say, a thousand years ago. And like the idea of a chalk stream now, although it's it's a very nice, pretty picture, it's not actually how a chalk stream should look, which might upset some anglers. But it's a, it's a lovely idea, but it's not how they should look is that a fair point it, or it, it's a very fair point and actually okay. it's not about what they were like thousands of years ago they didn't look like that 150 years ago oh really okay. that's <laughs> so that's the, the the final step so gone gone from being this kind of braided dynamic system into something much more ordered and structured and actually yeah. you know almost every chalk string you see has been cut to that shape it's not you know it's, that there isn't really a, a natural chalk stream you can point to mm. um but then obviously you know we acquire heavy plant machinery, diggers and dredgers and things. And uh, you've got the Dig for Victory campaigns during the war and the fortress 
Britain sort of mindset and then post-war of the Land Drainage Act and Common Agricultural Policy. And it's all about getting unproductive land, so nasty, wet floodplains into, you know, good productive farmland. So we we went along and we dredged them to pieces and we dredged all our rivers to pieces all over the place. But a lot of those rivers didn't tolerate it and they very quickly put themselves back because they've got lots of sediment coming down them, lots of energy, big spate flows. Chalk streams, you know, gentle little things, very, very stable systems. They've just stayed that way. And uh, a lot of those kind of canal-like, very straight, very neat ordered uh, bits of chalk stream, they're generally really terrible habitat. And they've stayed that way. And a, a, a lot of the work that sort of me and my colleagues do now is trying to undo that damage because the chalk streams can't do it themselves. So why why is that bad then? Why is it bad to have a, a straight piece of river? Well, it's it's if it's straight, it's uniform. So and if it's uniform, it's all one type of habitat. So you know, uh, biodiversity follows on from physical diversity you know if you it's, it's niches for species so you've got to have lots of little places for for things things to to, to live if you look at uh you know freshwater invertebrates uh you know if you're if you've ever done a a uh, you know river dipping or river fly sampling you know you you'll get the kind of uh, flattened mayfly species that kind of you can look at them they're built to hold on to you know stones in faster flows and then you get other ones that are more adapted to burrowing in sort of silty conditions and you know that goes all the way across the entire ecosystem you know things different creatures and plants adapted to different environments and if you've you've got an environment that's all the same then you're going to have a really limited number of species occupying that and ultimately you don't have a fully functioning ecosystem yeah, no, that makes sense. And you you were mentioning there that yourself and this is with West Wessex Rivers Trust, right? You're um you're trying to change that, are you, where you can? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I I I've been funny enough. It's I'm kind of an oddity, I suppose. Where river restoration's the the only full time job I've ever had. It's it's I've been doing it. It's, it's it's all I've ever done, really. It's a lot of that is focused on chalk streams because. I mean, there is there is a lot of river restoration done all over the country, but um, in a lot of cases, you're in a position where you can use natural processes more easily to help rivers restore themselves. And the chalk streams quite often need more of a, a, a violent intervention um, <laughs> to get them to get them back into the condition they are, because the those natural processes are just so suppressed because we have low gradients low sediment loads you know they they're they're sort of lovely gentle little things that yeah. uh you know they they they're too polite to uh <laughs> to, to make to make the sort of fuss they need to to sort themselves out what's the reception like if you're approaching um i imagine i mean nature is perhaps a little bit easier i don't know if our angling clubs like oh yeah this sounds great let's get lots of different diverse habitats or are they more like we've had it this way for 50 years and we'll keep it this way for the next 50 like what, what what's it like when you approach these um kind of owners um it it varies yeah um, i bet i bet fi- it does funny enough c- clubs tend to be easier than, oh really oh that's uh, good than, than commercial fisheries so that's oh, okay so you know the the great example i always have is you've got the 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 avon and the test um you know the two biggest chalk streams if you count the test and itching in together you might as well the yeah mm. the two 
two of the biggest uh, chalk streams side by side. Uh, the Avon's ten years ahead of the, the Test of Itchen. It has been right? for a long time in terms of in terms of attitudes, in terms of um, uh, uh, accepting that improving nature will ultimately result in a river that looks after your needs better. And a lot of that comes down to the economics of it. You know, there, there's much more of the Avon is clubs and syndicates, and much more of the Test is commercial fishery where people paying to fish you know, rather than a annual membership they're paying per day yeah and in many cases paying more per day than than the most people pay per year so yeah. it's it's uh so we do end up in some places where actually maintaining the river in a pretty awful state uh which is not great for its ecology uh does nonetheless keep it in a position where it holds lots of large farmed fish hmm. and that's good business yeah. Um, yeah yeah and that's i mean i'm being a bit uh simplistic and, and negative about it um g- generally attitudes even even in those you know the more economically lucrative parts of the chalk streams are are changing and we're certainly finding that the people a lot of the river keepers that actually look after the river um we're seeing a uh quite a big shift compared to a generation ago i think yeah you've got you've got uh, a lot of people now they they've gone through sparshot college or other agricultural colleges and they 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 know their ecology they're there to look after the the the, the river and they've they've had more kind of formal training um rather than just learning from the keeper before them who learned from the keeper for, before them you know so it's that's been a real breath of fresh air. And I think we're starting to see that with anglers and owners. And of course, nowadays, I think the threats to our chalk streams are so much more severe and so much more obvious that people are much more accepting of the argument that we need to do something to buffer ourselves from the impacts to come, as well as the impacts we're facing now. And that if you've got this kind of uniform canal of a of a river it's incredibly vulnerable to uh spikes in in water quality to drought to heat waves floods all of it yeah yeah well it's interesting you bring that up because yeah i was going to come on to some of the threats that they face because it's weird isn't it that the narrative that's been spun for the last sort of 30 years is our rivers have never been healthier and they're, they're looking great. And I noticed that people have gone very quiet on, on that now. No one's really, or not many people are saying that because we're slowly going down the other way, which is so, uh, so saddening to see really, isn't it? And it's, it's not one problem, is it? It's just a multitude of, um, as you say, spikes hitting these rivers and kind of putting them down on their knees really, isn't it? It, it is. Um, and I think, I mean, I don't, I think that um, we've had a a great kind of awakening to the problems that our rivers face. They're not new problems. No, 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 no. I think, and I think that, you know, there's, there's suddenly a lot of talk about um, sewage pollution. Well, our our sewage system has been broken since it was built. Um, Mm. You know, if you look at things like, um, you know, combined sewer overflows, that's a system that's designed to pollute. Mm. It's built that way. Um, the the 
good news is is that people know about it more now um you know and um you know our agricultural problems you know we're probably you know in terms of what we're putting on our fields nowadays you know chemically it's it's you know we're we're probably we probably are in a better place but you've got a legacy in in, in lots of cases of uh you know the the again with the chalk streams you've got um a, a this sort of big slug of of phosphate and uh, uh you know working its way through the chalk from fertilization of the land in the 60s and 70s uh, and then that's that's the kind of context that these you know spikes in in in, in pollution from uh spilling treatment works and just a, a general increase in 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 levels of phosphate because there's just that many more people living in these catchments flushing their toilets washing their clothes you know um flushing it's all it's that much more pressure and um i think from your uh podcast with with uh with ash um you know i think he pointed out that you know treated effluent isn't necessarily pollution free it's no that's kind of uh baseline that we've got coming through um you know and not there isn't an awful lot of phosphate stripping and uh um chalk streams are particularly vulnerable to excess nutrients because they are so clear and so productive anyway um yeah chalk, chalk streams the reason one of the reasons they're so special is they have the highest abundance and diversity of of river plants of of any other type of of, of river we've we've got in the country and that's because they are um these amazing crystal clear uh rivers which means there's lots of sunlight getting through lots of photosynthesis they're already quite uh, mineral rich and productive and because they're quite gentle and stuff's not getting washed out every time there's a, a, a heavy rain you know yeah. it's just it's, it's this amazing kind of growing system and uh and as a result you you elevate the levels of nutrients in it and the whole thing goes crazy yeah so you mentioned those phosphates that sink into the chalk from the 60s and what Are that is that it is that here then or can you is there a way to get rid of that or is it just sort of the damage has been done um or is it not is it not as big a problem like would you just sort of crack on or or is it an issue? I, I, I mean it is an issue yeah um, okay it's it's an issue that is not all that well understood mm. um you know uh you've there are a few academics you can speak to um at uh it's probably southampton bournemouth maybe exeter um, yeah but you know no no know know a lot about this stuff but being academics they'll almost certainly tell you that what we need is further research um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that sounds about right <laughs> but yeah but it's uh but yeah definitely we've definitely got some legacy yeah um, okay nu nutrient problems and that's that's the backdrop and it you know, it, you know if, if we uh reducing the amount of phosphate that's going onto our land eventually that works its way through but how long that's going to take no idea yeah yeah fair enough and you mentioned uh, abstraction there which is something that's a big threat to chalk streams and uh particularly you know this year one of the warmest years on record with, with the drought that we've had i mean some of these chalk streams literally have dried up haven't they 
Yeah, yeah. Um, some of the the upper reaches. I mean, there's lots of uh, chalk headwaters are winterborns anyway, so mm. they naturally only flow uh, in the winter when the the, the the springs break and they naturally dry up and actually the, the entire ecology is adapted to that but what we've started to see uh this year is the uh what should be perennially flowing chalk stream starting to dry up as well and that's that's alarming and um and obviously it's very bad for the things that were previously um living in those reaches um and it makes for quite nice television i suppose you can point a camera at it and say look there's no river here but actually the impacts go all the way down and that when you get low flows um in a in a in a, in a chalk stream it's what you've got is a is a change within a system that's not very well adapted to change you know the chalk streams being these quite stable flowing systems um you know big spate flows and and and, and really low flows is something that um, they're not particularly well adapted to. And what we'll see is that the plant communities, even in the lower reaches of these rivers where there's still, you know, water coming through, uh, start to change. You'll start, you'll see the species uh, change from being uh, things like ranunculus that need relatively strong flowing water. Um, that will kind of give way to, um, ribbon weeds sort of uh, like um uh unbranched spur reed um mare's tail these kind of more slow sluggish sort of condition plants and that change doesn't necessarily flip back when the flows return um it will take you know quite some time for the for sort of stuff to adapt again and the danger we've got is that if we if we get another low flow year before the river's kind of changed back to what it should be, then that that change has been exacerbated. And uh, you know, we're we're always we're always worrying about ranunculus on the chalk streams. It's it's the it's the powerhouse of the whole ecosystem. It's an incredible plant, and um, it, it if you ever run your hands through a, a strand of ranunculus uh, especially in a chalk stream and 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 look at it it'll be absolutely crawling with with invertebrates yeah and those invertebrates are actually cleaning the water for us they're cleaning the water for us and actually their droppings are then uh falling to the riverbed and being transfer like being transformed into fertilizer for other plants by kind of bacterial action and it's all happening you know, on, on the ranunculus essentially. And when you start losing it and getting other species come in, not those species don't have their own benefits, but you're, you're losing one of the most kind of potent parts of the, of the ecosystem. And it's, uh, it's alarming how much we're, we seem to be seeing even on the really big chalk streams now that the plant communities are changing and not changing back. Or you can eat buffet for the fish as well. Absolutely, yeah. You know, yeah. So much stuff yeah. in there for them to um, to to go for. And we mentioned earlier about where you find chalk streams. So the majority of them are in southern England, but they go. I think I'm right in saying they go all the way to Yorkshire, don't they? There's some in York. There's one or two in Yorkshire. Yeah, the the, the chalk is a. Uh, so it's you've got it from um, 
East Dorset all the way across the, the south coast into Kent. But then you've also got a band that goes kind of diagonally up the country into East Anglia and then up the uh, eastern side of the uh, of England uh, up to the yeah, Yorkshire Wolds. That's right. I keep meaning to, because I guess that's marginally closer to me. But I mean, yeah, predominantly the work I've done has been on a lot of the the kind of bits in your area, really, like the Test, the Itchin, um, some of the Dorset rivers and, and whatnot. And my wife's from Kent, actually. I should really go visit um, some of the chalk streams there because obviously most people will know the White Cliffs of Dover. Well, that's that's why it's there because it's chalk. So the chalk streams you've got, I think the Dower is one of the famous ones. And yeah, the um, Dower's Dower's an interesting river. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, that's there's a there's a great little community of people that uh, do conservation work on the on the Dower. Um, there's some wild beavers down there actually. Not many people know about. Is that right? Yeah, because we we did well. With, um, it was released yesterday. I don't know when this episode will be released exactly in order, but we talked about beavers and I know beavers and chalk streams. There is uh, certainly from some of these angling clubs are a little bit worried about beavers on chalk streams as opposed to some of the bigger rivers. I don't know what your take is on that. Are they are they going to be an issue on the smaller rivers or is it sort of time will tell or oh, don't worry about it? <laughs> um, I mean, time will tell. Yeah, um, yeah, they're, yeah, they're 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 on the uh, you know the outskirts of the chalk right now. They'll yeah. they'll be on you, the chalk. Didn't you see soon. one? Was it you? Did you post a picture of one somewhere? Um, on the Stour, which Stour, is a, that's it. Yeah, but the Stour is a funny little river, and it's 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 not a chalk stream, but it's oh. kind of it's sort of wedged in between chalk streams. Okay, so they okay. they've managed to find their way um <laughs> into our kind of catchment on the only right. bit that's not chalk. Um, <laughs> but they're they're tributaries are going to the star that are chalk streams okay um and yeah i don't i don't think it will be uh be too many years before we we see beavers on the chalk streams and i think uh a lot of people's concerns are you know people worry about the impact they're going to have on sort of main river chalk stream where mm. They're not really going to be building dams anyway, so I'm not particularly too concerned about it. No, I mean, okay. certainly there there is potential for the impacts of beavers to be more pronounced on low energy, low gradient systems. If you've got a very steep river and you build a dam on it, the impounding effect of that dam, you know, only goes so far upstream before it's drowned out by the the, the slope of the riverbed. If you've got a very very gentle slope, then actually even a small impoundment can back the river up a very long way right um and um then being already quite slow flowing it doesn't take much to to cause a lot of siltation and where we've seen um beaver dams for example down on the the river otter where you get a spate flow come through and it it uh, you get regular breaches of them. Then you get all these little kind of rivulets forming and different kind of potential routes for fish passage. How well that's going to happen on chalk streams, I don't know. That you don't get those kind of high energy flows. The, the counter to that argument is that on a lot of the chalk streams, you've got people whose job it is to micromanage the height of the reeds. So <laughs> you'd think you'd think that uh, that they could cope with poking around and and uh, managing, you know, some of the impacts of uh, of beavers. You know, there aren't yeah. many rivers in the in the country that have full time staff, um, but there's an awful lot of them on the chalk streams. So you'd think that actually, with the right kind of guidance and support, and that's probably the biggest if is is actually what what. Uh, what kind of uh, help there is for people that uh, are worrying about the impacts of beavers to what they can what they can do about it, but 
I think that probably we'll find that there'll be a bit of a learning curve and eventually we'll end up in a situation where it's it's managed. There will be conflicts, there will be problems, but if you can uh, manage those, then we sh- it should tip the balance into benefits, I think. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you there, Mike. I think that's probably the very uh, best way to put it. And um, yeah, it's not going to be perfect to start with, but yeah, people just got to learn to live with them and, and hopefully appreciate the benefits um, that beavers will will bring to a lot yeah. of these habitats as well. And what one of my pet hates, I don't know how badly chalk streams are affected by this. You'll, you'll know this better than me, but is, is weirs on river. I mean, certainly my local Trent has got some horrific weirs. And if I could just shove a stick of dynamite in every one of them and blow it up, I'd do it today. I, I can't stand weirs. And particularly because where I live, a lot of it is barbel fishermen. They love it. They love a good weir. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, they're fucking horrible things. They're they, the devil's oh, work. They are the devil's work. And it's just yeah. like, I appreciate, yeah, you might catch a couple more barbel, but that's only because the barbel want to go upstream and they can't bloody get up there. I mean, they're just one of the worst things. I think they're a bit of an un- unslung problem. I mean, pollution's very kind of, not glitzy, but you can understand that. And and obviously a lot of anglers don't like predation in a certain way. But weirs are such a huge problem for, for fish yeah. migration. Um, and people just don't quite grasp it. But h- how are they on chalk streams? Do chalk streams get affected by weirs? Yeah, yeah, we 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 do a lot of kind of weir removal um, yeah, good. projects. Um, there's an awful lot of uh, on. So yes, you have weirs on the chalk streams. You also have a lot of old um, sluices or yes, yeah, yeah, hatches yeah. as they call them in in Hampshire. Um, you know, which would have been linked to either mills or like the old water meadow systems. You know, so all these these gates and and micromanaging again of of of, of water levels in in. Yeah, you know, different parts of the river, and a lot of that, um, you know, carried on from the the milling and, and water meadow system into you know f- basically fishery management, you know, and, and backing the water up in the uh, in the in the summer and flushing it through, and and actually it's in a lot of places it's because they do the they do annual weed cuts on the chalk streams yeah um you know sometimes they'll they'll deliberately back the water up, cut the weed, then you open the sluice and flush it all down to whoever's downstream you then have to deal with it um <laughs> uh you know so they they they've been kind of part of the the chalkstream landscape for a very long time both both weirs and and sluices and um it, i think generally these days people are, are more accepting of their removal we we do have a few situations where for some bizarre reason um there are things like uh adjacent wetlands that are triple SIs that only exist because of a weir on the river. Oh, okay. and that becomes a real challenge. Um, yeah. So there's there's all kinds of, of of that that sort of stuff going on on the short streams. You've got to remember that it's an incredibly artificial landscape, and um, when we're trying to sort of bring them back to being more natural and more naturally functioning, and looking at things like removing weirs, there are sometimes all kinds of unintended consequences that you've got to kind of wrap your head around yeah um you get some of them are listed aren't they as well like people like oh it's been there since bloody blast so we've got to keep that piece of stone there and there's heritage and there's uh, and people like them and they in some cases they've created wild swimming spots that the locals like yeah or in fact in more recent years um particularly sort of since uh the lockdowns 
um, they now want those removed because they don't want the wild swimming spots anymore because oh. <laughs> they're, they're not local. They're not local wild swimming spots anymore. They're they're now kind of on websites and people come from all over the place. And it's well, as long as they get rid of the uh, weir, I don't mind the rationale as long as it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, any any excuse, I'll take it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because I suppose I'll, I'll probably not explain very well why it's a problem, but obviously, like it blocks fish migration. But even if even sometimes if fish can get up, they expend an extraordinary amount of energy which they wouldn't have extended anyway. And then they're in poorer condition to breed and perhaps more vulnerable to predation or other environmental stresses, which if that weir wasn't there, they just go straight up and, and crack on. So absolutely. Just, and, you know, uh, and it's also the impact it has on the habitat, you know, mm. and, and not, not just that it impounds the river upstream and makes that very slow. And you know, we talked about why uniform mm. uh, channels are, are, are bad. But they they essentially also they lock the riverbed in stasis. If yeah. you want to understand how rivers work, you know, forget about the water. You know, rivers as a habitat is a uh, a flowing, shifting, changing conveyor belt of sediment, and and the water is just the lubricant that moves it along. And if you you put something in that blocks that sediment, then actually pools and riffles stop forming. Um, you, you know the the the, the river like, doesn't have the same processes. It stops meandering as much. It, it kind of just it, it, it's everything slows down and becomes suppressed, and actually you get less habitat forming. So even if uh, you get really small structures that are passable to fish, it's still worth taking them out. Yeah, yeah. Fish um, fish ladders aren't always the answer. I mean, I know they're better than nothing. Don't get me wrong. Like if you can't remove yeah. the way, get a fish ladder in. But um, option A is remove it. Option B is yeah. remove it. Option C is remove it. Um, option <laughs> E is to bypass it, and option D is to build a fish pass. Yeah, no, definitely. Because uh, I know again, like a lot of historical fish passes are designed specifically for salmon, and I don't. I I hate the word migratory fish because all fish are migratory fish. A roach migrates, a chub migrates, and a lot of these fish passes, while salmon might be able to get up them, lamprey might struggle, or eels might struggle, or other fish might struggle. So I think more recently, I mean, particularly unlocking the seven and some of those projects, they've switched on to this a bit more, and they're a bit more accessible. But a lot of these historical fish passes, they're really a salmon pass. They're not actually a fish pass. Like They're only going to let those up easily. Yeah, and you'll get, and, and, and you may get some salmon um you know another fish getting up through them but um yeah we, we're quite good at monitoring how you know how well fish get past things but we're terrible at monitoring how many of them don't mm. so you, you have all these kind of barriers you say, well that's possible fish got past it you like, well how many didn't how many got uh you know tried and, and failed and, and, and turned around or how, how many were so delayed they didn't make it where they needed to be in time to spawn you know we it's not it's not as simple as can a fish get past it it's it's much more complicated question no that that's a really good point i never even thought of that mike that's a really good point because i've i've put cameras below weirs before on on the trend and you it's almost like a queue of salmon and you don't see that many jumping but you think bloody hell you know there's a lot there so how many just think oh stuff this we can't do it you know or give up so I never yeah, and they they they're a species they selectively pair. You know, they they're not they're not arriving and uh, you know they're they're not spawning um, like sort of shellfish do. They're not just sort of throwing DNA at each other and hoping mm -hmm. it sticks. They they actually do um, uh, pair up. There's there's some complicated things at play, and so if they don't all arrive at the same time, then you're interfering with what should be a, a you know a, a natural selection process. 
Um, so, you know, if we delay them, even if it's, even if they've got really quite passable structures, but you've got a number of them, then that's kind of, it spreads it all out. It's like sort of spreading out your, your traffic through taking a motorway down to a, to a single, you know, lane, then yeah. um, actually they're not all arriving at the same time. And that can have big impacts. Because I suppose with salmon, historically, we would have seen hundreds, if not thousands in rivers. And we're sort of got shifting baseline syndrome now where, I mean, in the UK, if you see like a half a dozen salmon, that's impressive now, isn't it? Or people get quite excited about that. Whereas I was in Alaska earlier this year and the river, you know, rivers the same size as a chalk stream were black with Pacific salmon. I know they're a different species, but I like to think, I don't know if there's any historical or, or literal evidence of this, but our rivers would have been like that. So when you say these fish appear spawning, I guess historically, because there were so many fish, it wouldn't have been a big risk. Whereas now, because of all these different factors, it becomes more of a risk that they might not find a partner, which is quite depressing, really. Yeah, and it's it, it it's it becomes a really desperate numbers game. Mm. Um, and this is this is the thing: if if uh, if if your spawning habitat can take you know, 500 pairs of, of of salmon so you know a thousand salmon that's that's all the spawning habitat you've got for um, mm. and, ev- and every year you get enough fish up there to fill that that keeps the population um at the num- at the level we, you know that it essentially it's carrying capacity but then if one year you come back and you have less than 500 pairs of, of salmon then not all of that spawning habitat gets occupied does it you know uh and and less and actually and it's it's uh it, it becomes sort of the, the situation where okay what's the number of pairs of salmon you need to actually just keep a population going and um you know if you've got weirs on a system and even if they're uh you know let's say they, they're 50 percent of salmon get over them how many do you need on that system before you don't get enough fish you might have enough fish coming in at the bottom of the river to fill the spawning needs and keep the population going but how many of those barriers does it take if a, if a certain percentage aren't getting past each one before they get to the top and there aren't enough fish to spawn to actually keep the population perpetuating so it's, it's one of those things that you know we still don't really understand what's happened to our salmon populations fully and you know that the ultimate solution is to is to get our heads around that and, and yeah. correct it. Yeah. But in the meantime, it's made weir removal that much more important because you've if you know we it, it's sort of almost a case of, of actually it's now more important to remove weirs than it is to figure out what's actually happened because if we don't yeah we might figure out what happened to the salmon that went extinct. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's more important we stop them going, you know, from from going extinct. And on the chalk streams, we've actually got a genetically um, uh, unique um, subgroup of of salmon. That yeah, are, I saw this. Yeah, yeah. So if you if you kind of go slightly west in sort of Devon and Cornwall, um, or, or uh, a bit further along, you know, the the south coast of the east, those those salmon are actually. Uh, more related to each other than and the chalk stream salmon are, are more related to uh salmon in france and spain um not entirely sure why that is yeah um, you know and they they might they might well be going to different places so they might actually when they go out to sea might be you know rather than go up to the 
North Sea. They might be heading off towards uh, Greenland or something like that. Oh, wow, yeah. So different sub. They, they think that's a subspecies, do they, or, or not quite? Well, I, 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 it's definitely a genetic subgroup. Okay. Yeah. Whether okay. it's whether okay. it's full subspecies is uh, it's that's prob- you're probably diving into a level of genetics understanding that I don't have. Okay. <laughs> All right. I won't push. I won't push then. Um, <laughs> that's fair enough. Um, so, what sort of species thrive on chalk streams? Then, I mean, I guess everything when a chalk stream's working does well. But are there any species where um chalk streams are sort of like a lifeline for them um or is it pretty much everything it's a good, it's a good question i think i think um there's no en- there's po- no endemics is there as far as i'm aware or anything like oh, there's, that there's nothing i point to and say that that, that that's that's only on chalk streams. I mean, there, there okay. may well be like like with the salmon there's probably yeah you could do yeah, the same yeah. with invertebrates if you really if you really you know dug down into the genetics you'd probably find that there are um there are kind of subspecies or or groups because because they're living in an environment that's so different that it's yeah. an, it's inevitable when you've got a, a, an environment that's so different to other neighboring environments that it's it's going to result in a, in species that are particularly well adapted to it yeah but i think the main the main thing with chalk streams is the it's the abundance and diversity of life you know when you've got this kind of uh you know and, and, a, and a chalk stream in a in a you know, in a really good condition you know it really is like an aquarium you know you mm. don't unfortunately we don't have many amazing examples of chalk streams these days but there are still some some around you can go and see and it's absolutely staggering you know mm. you are looking into something that just looks impossible it's it's you know, that crystal clear and there's just so much life going on um when you've got that diversity and abundance of plant life you've got all the invertebrates that are you know living on and, and amongst all those plants that themselves are uh you know because it's uh chalk water it's rich in calcium carbonate they build their their carapaces their bodies out of uh out of that so that so it's really easy for them to to, to grow and proliferate and then you've got a really high abundance of fish and uh, coming in to eat that and, and birds and then uh you know mammals and the, you know, the whole ecosystem kind of from the from the very base is just huge and so yeah. it builds up into a big kind of tower if you like yeah um, no, that, make, that makes sense that, i think that that's the thing where that makes them special ecologically rather than any particular sort of species you want yeah to i couldn't think of one myself so that's why i was asking the question yeah. but no that that makes um, a lot of sense and and before we go this might be an impossible task for you but have you got a favorite chalk stream uh, or is that going to get you the sack if you favour one no. one chalk stream over another? Uh, yes, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure you're supposed to say the test. I normally tell people that's my least favourite chalk stream. <laughs> uh, some some parts of it, particularly in the, in the, the sort of middle reaches, are absolutely terrible because they've been <laughs> so badly damaged. Um, but uh, I, I would say that there are parts of all the chalk streams I've, I've visited, and that and I used to do back in my wild trout trust days lots of work in the southeast on some of the chilton's chalk streams as well mm. and uh every chalk stream has uh little reaches that are just incredible um and probably some really ghastly bits as well so i could probably come up with a list of some of my favorite parts of chalk streams okay, but okay. i don't think there's i don't think there's one that actually is in good enough condition to sort of take the crown and i think anyone okay. that says th- this chalk stream or that chalk stream is the best chalk stream probably hasn't seen it all 
No, that make it makes a lot of it's sort of a, a sad but um sobering statement. <laughs> it, it, is, it? It, it is, it is. I mean the good the good thing about the work that that uh that, that we do is that we we're slowly but steadily creating more yeah. talk stream that is in really a condition where we know there's really you know that they're, they're healthy and things are growing and all the habitats there and you know it doesn't the sort of restoration work we do is you know it's very habitat focused it's not necessarily uh focusing on uh abstraction and water quality but they're all there there are three legs to the bar stool of of river health yeah and um you know actually two of those legs require a lot of time they almost certainly require top-down major political social changes and one of them just requires some funding and people to roll their sleeves up and get in there and make a change and so that's that's where we 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 focus our energy and we let our kind of friends in um other organizations who are doing you know the amazing work either whispering in the right ears at parliament or making a really loud noise on the telly um you know it, it all adds up to the to the same thing which we hope is is chalk streams that are still here for future generations no and i i think you know power to you i think that's the right thing do what you can and if you can make a change make a change and um it all helps towards the end of the day doesn't it if you can restructure some of these rivers and just make them look a little bit healthier then then do it definitely so i think it's yeah, fantastic I, what you at do the, at the end of the day i think you know the, the biggest cause of of species loss on the planet is habitat loss yeah no 100 and, and you know there are wider catchment scale impacts impacting all of our rivers but on the chalk streams the habitat loss was really violent and severe and it's there because they can't repair themselves we've got to put it back and that's that's what we do well, you could clear, like, you know, let's say we've got a magic wand and we clear the water up tomorrow. If the animals haven't got anywhere to live or the wider habitat, then it's it's not going to work. So they've got to you've got to have that to to help them. So I think, yeah, crack on and and get on with it, Mike. Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure to to chat to you, and, and hopefully we'll get out on the bank at some point as well. That'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. All right, take care, buddy. Thanks a lot, Jack. That was Mike Blackmore talking about chalk streams, a habitat that I'm absolutely fascinated with and something that Mike is very clearly interested in and knows a hell of a lot about. Now, next week is another episode of Jack Does Stuff. I haven't actually recorded it at this time, so I don't know what it's going to be, but I'll cook something up. So stay tuned, something will be there. I am going to do one on the Big Garden Bird Watch, but that's not happened yet as of recording, so I'll think of something. Now, if you enjoyed the podcast and you want to follow us on social media, we're at Twitter, at TitBearded, and you can also follow me on Twitter at Jack Perks Photo. We're also on Facebook under the Bearded Tits Podcast and Jack Perks Wildlife Media. And over on Instagram, it's just Fish Twitcher, where you can see all my lovely fishy pictures. This has been the Bearded Tits Podcast. I've been your host, Jack Perks, and I'll see you next Tuesday. Cheers.